You're listening to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, your home for holistic, evidence-based cognitive enhancement strategies. And now your host, Eric Levi. What is going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Holistic Nootropics Podcast, where we discuss using nootropics, biohacking, and nutrition to help you boost your cognition. My name is Eric, and today we have an awesome podcast planned for you. Just a quick heads up. If you are new to the podcast, then please take a moment and remember to subscribe. If you've used technology in the past, you know how to do it. Just hit that big subscribe button right there on your phone, right there in your podcast player. If you're watching this on YouTube, then hit that big red button underneath the video with that little bell icon to get notified every single time we drop a video, which we do fairly regularly. And if you are someone who is into nootropics, maybe you were searching around the internet and you found us through your search for nootropics, or you're into biohacking, or you just like to get healthy, then head on over to holisticnootropics.com and download a copy of my free supplement buying guide. This is a fully comprehensive guide that will walk you through ingredient by ingredient on how to find the best quality supplements and nootropics on the market today, because there is a lot of junk on the market today. Some of your favorite supplements sold on Amazon are absolute garbage because they're filled with these preservatives and excipients and added ingredients that really diminish the quality of the supplement you're buying. In fact, they've done many tests on these supplements that are being sold, again, on Amazon, Costco, GNC, Walmart, CVS, wherever you buy them. And a lot of times they don't even have the nutrient in the supplement product that you're buying. So it's very important to know what you're buying and to avoid all of those added fillers that just kind of fill stuff up, but don't add any nutrition to the supplement. So I've laid that out in my free supplement buying guide, head on over to holisticnootropics.com and you can download that for free. Okay, let's jump into today's podcast with Dr. Marie Gervais. Dr. Marie Gervais is the CEO of Shift Management Incorporated, specializing in helping people grow into supervisory and managerial positions, build their leadership confidence and skills to support their teams in meeting business objectives effectively. She uses online courses and web coaching to shift management's method. Uh, shift management methods have been successfully implemented and used by managers and career developers across populations and contexts. Dr. Marie, welcome to the Holistic Nootropics Podcast. Thank you for inviting me. Happy Absolutely. To be here. Yes, this is going to be, we were just talking about this before we jumped on. Um, not like a usual podcast that I do. You know, you can scroll through the Holistic Nootropics podcast library and it's basically um, nutrition, biohacking, you know, supplementation, all of these things, a little mindset stuff. But for the most part, it's a very health centric podcast. But I'm actually excited to talk to you because. Uh, you know, like I was saying before we jumped on, a lot of this stuff that we do, you know, the holistic health, the, the really getting your body together, the mind-body connection is so that somebody can show up to their profession. They can be better in their profession. They can become uh, the leader that they want because you probably know a lot of people, you know, they go to work, they spend their time at work, or maybe they're a leader and they just can't effectively put strategies together. They're maybe dealing with like brain fog, maybe because they have some kind of chronic disease they're dealing with or some kind of chronic condition. And, you know, they're constantly 
you know, dragging and they're not thinking straight and they're not feeling motivated. They're not feeling confident. Um, so this is what we want to, this is at the end of the day, this is what health is all about is being able to show up like this. So, um, this is why I'm, I'm excited to have you on. So, you know, I'd love to talk about what you do specifically, but really you have such a niche focus on, uh, in this business space. I'd love to talk a little bit more about how did you even get into this in the first place? So um, this is my business is my fourth career and I finished a PhD and I decided I was not interested in working in, um, uh, wasn't interested in working in, the, in academics and I wanted to start my own business. I had done several other careers before that. And so um, I, I had done work and culture in the workplace. That was the thesis. And um, there wasn't anybody really interested in it at that time because I was in an oil and gas economy and they were just seeing people as being disposable commodities that they could use, burn them out and then find more. And so that started me off in working in management. I have a management background. And so I thought, well, you know, I'm going to see what I can do. And I discovered all sorts of problems in the workplace, many of them related to health. In fact, uh, since I specialized mostly in manufacturing, the manufacturing industry, um, obesity was huge. Addictions was huge. Um, people had no body awareness, no sense of anything about who they were <laughs> health wise. Um, and it was really affecting what they could do at work. So that was part of the reason why I, um, why I started working in the way that I do, which is a much more holistic way. I'm also um, just about finished my master's practitioner certification for EFT. So uh, emotional freedom uh, technique, which I've been doing for six years in addition to running the, the trainings, the courses. And um, when I was working with people who were in operations and suddenly put into management and they were um, panicked and unhealthy and they couldn't, um, they couldn't focus on anything. So I used EFT to calm them down and to give them some uh, emotional regulation strategies that they can put into place. And they also started to think of learning as being something they could, they could do rather than something that had been imposed on them or, you know, something they had a bad experience with. So uh, it was really interesting. And uh, we, we got into all this, it developed into the holistic approach that I use when I'm working with people in companies and supervisory and management positions. And then I also wrote a book called The Spirit of Work, which is based on the idea that people are working not just for sustainable, sustainable reasons, but because they, they want a sense of purpose and meaning. And um, so I uh, started to investigate and research the chapters, which are bring your body to work. So there's the health focus right there, bring your body to work, which is the longest chapter. Um, starts from breath and moves all the way through exercise and um, unhealthy relationships with food and what happened during the pandemic with people with eating disorders um, and shift workers and how, they, how, how much it messes up your body to be on a shift. Um, so that was one of the chapters um, and then dreams and the effects of dreams. Um, and I also looked at uh, other aspects of bringing your whole self to work. So bring your soul to work. What's purposeful for you? Um, what's, you know, what's meaningful for you? Um, how do you, how do you integrate who you are with your workplace? Um, bring your heart to work. What about your emotions at work? Um, bring and bring your mind to work, which many people are not doing. <laughs> If they're in brain fog or if um, they're being told that they're not paid to think or they're just supposed to do this one piece of the job, they're not bringing their whole mind to work. And then the last part of the book is about all the things people bring as influences from their community, their background, 
into their workplace. So they're bringing their biases, um, they're bringing all of their strengths and their and their weaknesses, and they're also bringing their prejudices and their difficulties and their bad habits all to work. So uh, and they're doing that within a um, community context. So how does that affect workplaces? So it's a very holistic approach to work and working. Um, and I also, but that was also fed by, I have a podcast as well. It's called the Culture and Leadership Connections Podcast. When I interviewed people about the groups that affected them, uh, that they grew up in and the ones that they adopted later, many times they spoke about health and about um, food and, and about their relationship to other people at work. So it all ties together. Yeah, that's that's so true. Every every piece of this, you know, like I remember when I had a regular job, like a regular nine to five, and I just was so miserable. I hated it so much. And everybody in my office hated the job so much. Um, you know, I had a job once that was in an, like an office that everybody hated it, but there were a few people who genuinely loved it. And they were actually the people who were, act, who were really good at the job. And you start to see like when you're able to show up as your best self, you're gonna end up with the best results. Now, if you hate the job, you know, I think a lot of people do hate their job, but they're afraid to leave. So it just compounds this, this poor performance over and over until it just becomes routine. And you're just, you're just slugging along until you eventually retire. But I think what happens to a lot of people, and this is what happened to me was that you have that moment where you go, I can't do this anymore. And you either say, I'm going to stay here and I'm going to be good at this, or I'm going to leave. And that takes I believe a holistic approach, you know, when you, when you are thinking straight, when you are feeling healthy and confident, when you are feeling inspired, when you are feeling supported, then you can make those decisions from a place of power. And what's happening is a lot of people are making decisions from a place of weakness and they bring that to the workplace. And this is what makes the workplace just an, just an awful place. For some. I agree. I agree. I, but on, in the book, I also look at things not just from the individual perspective, but also from the community and the institutional perspective, because we are all within a context. So, um, you know, workplaces as, an, as institutions have a role to play in, in ha having workplaces that are in, environmentally friendly, that are welcoming to people, that are inclusive, um, that are just. Uh, uh, all of that are warm and welcoming. Those, so the workplaces have a responsibility. And then people working together with other people have a responsibility to each other. And then we can create a, a healthy workplace by the attitudes that we have to, how can we be helpful to other people? How can we um, choose to, to be a part of, 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 the, of the workforce in a way that's going to build rather than to destroy? For example, you can choose to encourage or you can choose to backbite and gossip. So all of those things contribute to the health of the workplace. But what do you do if you're, you know, like to me, that sounds fine and good, but you know, I'm thinking again, back to when I used to work in an office that I, the job that I hated and they didn't care. Like they, I could say, yeah, you know, can we do this? It would make the workplace much better, but what they're not, they don't care what me as an employee has to say about this. I'm as far as they're concerned, like I'm there to do the job. And then I'm, and then as far as I'm concerned, I'm there to do that job and get a paycheck there. I'm there for them so they can make money and I'm there so I can make money. And that's about 
the extent of the relationship. You know, there's no, there's no real negotiation as far as like, Hey, we want a better workplace. Hey, we want, uh, you know, we want this to be more sustainable. You should be more environmentally conscious. You should be more, um, you should be more fair to your workers or whatever. Like none of that was even possible. So what do you do in the, in the case, like if you're in a position and you're just clearly in a job where you're just there to get a paycheck, um, you know, how do you, how do you, how do you kind of like find the silver lining and all that? Good question. So the whole premise of the book and also the way that I work with people is that things can be soul enhancing or soul diminishing. So soul enhancing is expansive, encourages health, encourages well-being, and it's not transactional. It's about you mattering to me as another human being. And if that's missing from the workplace, the workplace is soul diminishing. So that's why people hate to come to work. And eventually it ends up causing the destruction of the workplace. Either it implodes through corruption or too many people leave and they can't keep talent. So at some point, the work, the people who are making the decisions at the workplace will, will have to decide to make things better or the whole business falls apart. And so, and that's what we're seeing now because of the pandemic. So there are many, many businesses that have just gone under and couldn't couldn't get back out again. And now people are saying things like, yeah, everything that we can do for well-being in the workplace, that we want to attract people and keep them. And we keep asking them, what do you need? What do you need? What do you need? So they've gone from the position of just, I don't care, do whatever, as long as you make make me money, to almost groveling at, you know, please stay, please stay. Neither of which are really soul enhancing. So it's really more like, People need to have a conversation, need to have a dialogue, need to talk about what matters to me, what matters to you, and how can we align? And that is starting to happen. It's not happening everywhere, but it is starting to happen. So further to your question, I think the individuals have to have some kind of a wake-up call. So the wake-up call either comes from a health crisis, or they just check out, or they have a breakdown, um, some kind of a breakdown, or they... They, they just say, I can't do this anymore. And they start thinking of a way to exit. So that would be from the individual perspective. From the, from the organizational perspective, they lose money and they lose people and they think we have to do something differently. So the, it, it's, the other thing that can happen is they can just start learning. So they can go, people start learning. When they start learning at work, things change. And if that happens at every, any level, it affects people. I have a great story, story in the book about a manufacturing plant where um, the plant manager said, uh, you know, we have this roll-up project and I'm the brains and I know what I'm doing. So, and I've got it all set up. So Marie, just look it over and tell me if it's good to go. And I said, well, have you checked with anybody else about it? And he said, no, why should I? Because I'm the smartest person in the plant. That's why I'm here. And I said, well, why don't you run it by your next level of managers just under you and just see what they have to say. So he did. And within 10 minutes, they found 11 holes in his, pro- in his project. And he was completely flabbergasted. He went, how did that happen? I thought I was the one. As soon as you think you're the one who's, who's got everything and everybody else is just a peon <laughs> or a minion, <laughs> you're missing out on a lot of in- important information. So he, when he found that out, he said, well, okay, wh- what would you recommend to close the gaps? And they said, well, we recommend going back and talking to our people. And he said, well, why would you do that? Most of them don't speak English. It's English is like their fourth language. And they said, we don't have a problem because we've got different people that help us translate and we'll find out. So they found out that the people in the plant did not understand what they were doing or why they were doing it. And they found out that they could move the numbers if they understood what those were. So 
they found that out. They didn't have any kind of a training program. They just discovered it. And uh, they started to make goals, set goals. They started to go, you know what? We could we could ship with no damage. Let's look for zero damage from shipping. Let's look for, they just started to create on their own because they had a sense of purpose and meaning. They started to create on their own ways to, to improve things. And they made such a big difference in the bottom line of that particular plant. And not only that, but they're calling their friends and relatives who worked in the other plants and teaching them how to move the numbers. And because people felt that they had some control and ownership over and some purpose, they started doing the same thing. So it was pretty exciting. And guess what happened when the leadership who had hired me to work with other different, guess what they decided to do when they found out about all those positive changes? They fired me. They fired me because they didn't want to have to make any changes themselves. And you Mm -hmm. know where that company is right now? It doesn't exist anymore. Three years ago, COVID, they couldn't, they couldn't survive COVID. Well, so that's interesting. If you're bringing those ideas to like a top level person who says, okay, I want my, obviously I want more production from my staff and that's going to require them to be happier at their jobs. But the fact no, no, is, you don't no, you don't start with, I want more production from my staff. Okay. You start with who are you and mm-hmm. what do you know? And how can we, how, how do you see your job? That's what you start with. That's how you move from soul diminishing to soul enhancing. Mm. Okay. I got you. Okay. So, so somebody answers that question and they have a completely distorted view. Like there they go. My job is to like, is to make this thing. And I just do that all day. And that's just what I do. And they, they just write it like, you know, Hey, black and white. That's what, like, there's no passion behind it. They're like, I'm clearly here to just get a paycheck. Like Mm -hmm. I can't, lose this job because I got to pay for my kid and I got a, I got car payment and rent and bills. Like this is the job I do because I've been doing it for 20 years and that's what I do. So like, how does a manager, how does somebody above this person? And a lot of times those people are very hard to reach because they're like, I've been doing this for so long. I don't need somebody to tell me how to do my job. You know, even though they, they hate their job, they're very protective of their job. Um, I've actually found this quality in myself. Like I had jobs where I just, I hated it, but I was also very protective of it. Um, so like, how does a manager then, how does a manager help that person? I don't know, be more, um, you know, enthusiastic about their work. Especially, no, they if they're not gonna, especially if they're they, not going to pay them more. They don't try to make them more enthusiastic. Mm-hmm. They, they'd ask them more questions. Like, so let's say you could pick any job you wanted. What would you be doing? Where would you like to be in three years in your life? If you had the chance to improve something in this workplace, what would you do? You have to ask questions that touch people at the heart level. Mm-hmm. Okay, and that's and when then, they, then they start responding at the heart level. And it doesn't matter how low down they are in the organization when you start speaking to them like human beings they start responding the people won't all be responding at the same level but you don't have to control it it starts to grow on its own it becomes an ecosystem and then what's the next step after that though they say everybody answers it you know they say this is you know they answer those questions and then and then what and then what happens after that because Typically in a lot of these organizations, you have levels of bureaucracy, like you have middle managers who answer to higher middle managers who then answer to a leadership who then answers to a corporate who then answers to a C-level. So 
at that point, then like, there's so many steps to get things changed. I mean, I, again, like I worked for a company that was owned by a massive, like, um, I think they were owned by like, I forget BlackRock or something, just a massive corporate. So they couldn't make any, nobody could like walk and chew bubble gum at the same time. It was like, if you wanted, if they wanted to put a sign in the break room, like it had to be run through seven different people, you Mm -hmm. know? So you go and you ask these questions and they get answered. And then like, what do you do with those? What do you do with those answers? You know? Well, so first thing is not everyone's going to go for this idea. They don't have to. Right. It's just, it is a way to improve workplaces. So people Mm -hmm. that are already interested in improving workplaces are going to read my book or will hire me to work with them or they'll hire other people or they'll take, get into a a coaching situation where they're doing EFT or some other modality and they start to develop some self-awareness and some other awareness and they'll start making some little shifts in their lives. So it's not like you have to say, okay, blanket statement. Everybody is this step one, step two, step three. That's how it works. Because you have to pay attention to what's happening. If somebody starts something and whatever you pay attention to grows, you pay attention to that, that grows. You pay attention to this, that grows. And so then you start to have something you can work with. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just, it's like health. If, if you say, okay, take this supplement, then take that one two months later, then two months later, take this one. That will only work for some bodies that won't, won't work with all of them. So And the people who are interested in health are going to be the people that are going to be talking to you about supplements. People who aren't won't be. So you don't pitch to the wrong audience, right? And so, and and the results basically is that people, you know, people need to feel they have a sense of purpose at work. And, And eventually workplaces are going to get there. So then as somebody who is in a leadership position, right. And they want to, they want to be a better leader. Be like, what is, you know, what are some things that somebody can do to really grow themselves at elite as a, like, obviously it's like specific on the person and the job and industry we're talking about. But, um, you know, if somebody wants to grow as a leader, you know, like how do you see that? You know, where, where does, where does this holistic approach come into effect in that sense? Well, I have a number of models I propose in the book that I've used um, that I can explain, but I think from a personal perspective, do anything that would, that you're interested in. So if it's exercise, take one step towards exercise. You know, if it's, if it's getting out for, you know, getting fresh air, take one step towards doing that and starting a, starting a a morning routine, a spiritual practice of some sort. There's lots of things you can choose from where you spend some time alone with yourself for five minutes and then expand it. That usually has a significant change for people as individuals. And if they use this in, in workplaces and many workplaces are doing that now, um, they have a mindfulness practice, a mindfulness moment and things like that that they do. As long as it's not just lip service, if they're actually doing it, it makes a big difference. So I think that that helps a lot, but it's also a mindset. You know, what, what you're thinking about inspires the action that you take. So, um, one of the models that I use is called the SWELL model, safety, well-being, encouragement, and learning. So you ask yourself, if what am I doing here? Is it safe? Is it safe for me? Is it safe for me throughout the, from the beginning to the end? Is it safe for the people who are working with it? Is it going to be safe for the people who take it? Is it going to be safe at the end of its life cycle? You ask yourself safety questions. And then you move into, does this promote well-being? Are people going to be happier as a result? Will they be in a better place? Will they have less addictions or none? 
So, you know, and then you move into, is what I'm going to say encouraging or is it discouraging? So maybe I can choose to be encouraging. And the last one is learning. Any workplace that learns anything increases the workplace well-being climate. So you could start at any of those points, but I always recommend starting with safety. Hmm. And why safety? Like what, 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 what's the benefit of that? Because everything's about safety. If I don't feel physically safe, I'm not going to be able to participate. If I don't feel emotionally safe, I'm going to withdraw and I won't, I won't join in. In your situation that you described about your job, you didn't feel emotionally safe to contribute. You probably didn't feel intellectually safe to say anything or do anything. You didn't feel that anything that you did would make any difference. And if you stood out and did it, it would probably come back and bite you. So safety mm -hmm. was missing from your story right from the get-go. Um, hmm. And it can be also morally unsafe. So if people are attacking you with gossip and backbiting and, you know, or they're treating you differently because they don't like your people um, or your body type or your social class, it feels unsafe too. So that's why I think safety is the best place to start. Interesting. I never, I never thought of it like that, but it's, it's actually true, you know, cause you might be, you know, everyone might be miserable at a job for whatever reason, but um, if you were to boil things down to the most basic understanding of like, why are you unhappy somewhere? Um, self-expression is like one of, especially in America, that's like our top thing, right? Like I want to be able to say what I believe. I want to be able to, um, you know, put on my cubicle, like pictures and quotes and things that I believe in. Like if you're going to, if you're going to promote and foster a healthy work environment, like getting the most out of people, you have to really allow them to bring their unique skill set to the table. And if you're sitting around these conference rooms and you're constantly talking and somebody proposes something and there's people in the room who don't think it's a good idea, but they're too afraid to voice that opinion, then you get this whole groupthink thing. And then you start getting, you start having disastrous results. Um, and it's that comes out of safety. Yeah, it's also about the way you understand the context that you're in. So it's not just about people being able to express themselves. It's it's about being able to express themselves honestly, but kindly. Mm -hmm. So I'm in a context and I want to be able to say what matters to me and be really authentic about it, but in a way that other people are not going to be hurt. So that's the safety piece again. So how could I say this in a way that doesn't feel hurtful? And if I do hurt someone, because we all end up offending in some way, shape or form, you know, how do I, how do I make amends to help patch up that relationship? So it makes, it means you pay attention to the relationships and to the context much more. Um, so it's like, you feel like you belong if you can contribute. And when you feel like you belong, you're really excited about bringing other people in and making sure it feels safe for them. So that it's kind of a juxtaposition of those two things, being unique and belonging you. at the same time. Interesting. Yeah. That, that, that's so, yeah, we're so interesting as humans where we are, we, we do, there's people who have this kind of like, they have like this rough exterior where they're like, I live dangerously. I like to live on the edge. You know, I like to be daring. I like to take chances, but at the end of the day, you're not going to do anything if you don't feel safe doing it. You're not going to bungee jump if you don't have a, a, a rope attached, you know, you're not going to skydive if you don't have a parachute. So like it's a, some degree, you're going to need to feel some level of safety. So like, if you are a creative type, 
and you do have these ideas, then you do want to express them. But at the same time, you're not going to do it if you feel like, well, everything's just going to get shot down. And it might actually even put my job at, like, I'm afraid that people might start looking at me differently. I'm afraid that it might start excommunicating me out of the group identity out of the tribe, Mm -hmm. you know, like if I propose something or if I do something, if I say something, then people might start looking at me weird. And then that's going to ruin my relationship. But like everybody has that story of how they were close to people at work or they were doing something. And then one day something happened and then everything changed. And then they Mm -hmm. were no longer a part of that group. They were no longer like roped in on all of the crucial communications. And for a lot of people, you know, for some, sometimes there's a, a culture shift. Sometimes a new person is hired and whatever it is, at some point, someone's going to feel not as safe and not as comfortable as they once did. And then that's usually like when things start to fall apart for those people. Right. So if, if there is, if there's a occurring workplace context where people can speak about that in some way, that's one piece. But then the other one is that they, if, if there's a, if there's a, a workplace that, that is well-being oriented, then people will not want anyone to feel excluded. And if somebody starts to feel excluded, they'll say, what can we do to bring that them, you back in? What's missing? Um, and there, it might be that that person who's, who's saying something, maybe they're saying it in a way that just doesn't, doesn't land with people. And they just need to soften what they're saying, same message, but soften it in a way so that people can hear it. Um, but, it, you know, it can be a whole variety of different things, but it really comes from the premise that we are human beings in relationship with each other and that matters the relationships matter and you matter to me and I matter to you and if that's not there you don't have a healthy workplace and any steps so to move towards that increase people's health and it also increases their their individual health their physical health well so let's talk about that yeah health (laughs) in the workplace because there are like workplaces now that do value health, you know, there are workplaces that, um, you know, they'll pay for your gym membership or though obviously like a lot of workplaces offer health insurance, which I think is not, that's not health, you know, but like we're talking about, okay, they want, you know, they, they are encouraging health in some way. How do you approach that topic with, um, you know, with these people that you consult with, because for a lot of people, this is, this is a very touchy subject, you know? Um, some people might look at it like there's, there's sensitive people out there who might go, Oh my God, my company's fat shaming now, (laughs) you know, or they won't accept me because I'm not in good, I'm not in good shape. But so how do you, how do you like approach that topic with, with these companies? Um, I haven't, approach that topic specifically with companies, they start, once they start making any shifts in their, in the way that they approach what they're doing with people relationally, they start to bring it up. So once they see themselves in relationship with, rather than in transaction with other people, they start to, they start to bring up well-being and health things. And there are companies that have tried uh, initiatives for health. And I, I mentioned a bunch of them in the book, uh, in the chapter on bring, uh, bring your body to work. And they found that if they ask people, what does it mean to you? What does health mean to you? Or what would you see that, you know, what would you suggest would be useful for uh, making this workplace healthier? Um, that makes a difference. They also mm-hmm. then start to use um, marketing in supermarkets. If you put healthy foods at eye level, 
and make them most prominent, and you still offer foods that are not healthy, more people will more frequently buy healthy foods because they see them first. And as soon as they see someone else eating them, they also start doing it too. So social proof jumps in. Mm -hmm. So there's the piece about, you know, how do you set it up so it's easy for people to do something that's going to be better for them? And then the other piece is, um, how do you get their input to find out what matters to them? Mm -hmm. uh, one of the companies that I worked with, they did a survey and people kept saying what they disliked the most about the workplace was the food in the cafeteria. And so they, um, they asked the people who had, you know, who's got ideas for the food in the cafeteria and they, cr they created a little focus group. And those people came up with a local caterer that was also an immigrant who was related to somebody that worked in, in the plant and was, uh, did catering that people really liked the food. And they asked if that person could be hired to run the cafeteria. Mm. And so the company said, all right, we'll give it a shot for a year and see what happens. So they hired this, um, this couple to run the cafeteria and they did that. They offered several types of uh, ethnic options and they, and healthier food. And they still kept the burgers and fries and the Coke and Pepsi stuff. Um, and people's water drinking went up. Um, their salads were selling all the time. There was a decrease in the amount of, you know, uh, sodas and uh, burgers and fries that people were ordering. They were still ordering them. They just were ordering them every single day, twice a day. Mm -hmm. And, um, and people started to see they were, you know, more energetic at work. There was less sick time. And all they did was just listen to the employees from the survey and say, well, what would you do? And then the employee said, well, we'd like to do this. And they said, okay, let's give it a shot for a year and see what happens. This is how much money we have for this. Can you fit within that budget? And they did. So, and everybody was pretty proud of the cafeteria. And it had also retention and not only retention, but also recruiting. So they'd say, you should come work. You should apply. There's a new position. You should come and apply because we've got a great cafeteria. The food's really good. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that's, that's how things start. That's important. I, I think, you know, like one thing I think about, um, you know, that would be important for me when I'm working is actually the food that you eat, you know, like, because what happens is again, like, I go back to because I haven't had like a real job in a long time, but when I did, I always just think back to okay. I either brought my lunch, like the the place I worked, it was kind of like in this. I don't know how to describe it, like this industrial yard. Like mm -hmm. it was kind of away from a whole bunch of stuff. There was no like, you know, no shopping centers or anything around where there was like good food. It was like kind of in the middle of nowhere. So if we were going to order, it was always like the takeout that we'd order is like a Chinese place. It was like pizza place. Um, you would have to like drive kind of far to get like something decent. So I would have to like bring my food or bring my lunch. And I didn't like know how to cook back then. So it was always like something like a microwave dinner or something. Um, but now knowing what I know about health, to me, that would be a very important thing. Cause if I go, I'm going to spend eight to 10, maybe even to 12 hours in this place. Like, obviously I need to eat. And obviously like I need to eat something that's good. So I don't eat something at noon and want to fall asleep at two. Mm -hmm. You know, if you want me to work, if you want me to like be productive for eight hours, like you need to, I need to make sure that my body and my brain is properly nourished. If I have to, if I have no choice, but to eat a bunch of, you know, like gluten and high fructose corn syrup, I'm going to be out before, like before two o'clock, you mm -hmm. know, but if I have something that 
is nourishing that fills me up that doesn't leave me like hungry i don't need like a bunch of, oh my god i had a drawer full of like chocolates and candy and stuff like halloween was the best because i would restock for the year you know um if i don't need to like reach into this drawer and pull out like kit kat bars and you know hershey's kisses and m&ms and stuff then you're going to get the best version of me. So like, yeah, if you're, if that would actually be like, as a business owner, if I had like an, a place where I, in a, and I had a company and, you know, I had people working for me, that would a hundred percent be a thing that I would invest in. Like, Hey, I want to make sure my employees eat the best quality food so that, they feel good. They feel refreshed. They're not gaining weight. And then of course, when you eat like crap during the day, then you're going to go home. Your sleep's going to be garbage. Mm-hmm. You're going to care less about your health. You, you might have some drinks. Then you wake up the next morning, you're hungover, your blood sugar's a mess. And then the whole thing starts again. So, um, somebody might hear that somebody who's just but, like meat and potatoes business might hear that mm-hmm. and go, well, why would I do that? But really when you think about it, investing in your, in your employee's health is one of the best things you can do for your bottom line. Oh, I, I agree with you. And the highest rated employers are the ones that have attention to food. But it is important to remember that it's about choice. So you can't just say, I want you guys to eat healthy. And that's what I'm going to give you. You sure. have to give people some choices and make sure that the healthy choices are more convenient, easier. And then people will start using them. They'll, they'll start paying attention to them. Um, but there's it doesn't have to be a whole food thing. It can be, for example, just a seminar about what's best to eat on shift when you're on night shift. That raises satisfaction levels right away because people go, wow, they care about my health while I'm on shift, Mm -hmm. which doesn't happen. Nobody does anything to help shift workers. And there are millions of them. (laughs) Yeah. It's so interesting. What should you eat if you're on night shift? You should eat eggs, like, you know, bean dip with vegetables. Yeah, there's certain things that you should eat when you're on night shift because your body mm-hmm. doesn't like to have food at night. So there's certain things you should eat and certain things you shouldn't eat. So if you know that, that's going to make you make it easier for you to to deal with your shift without crashing and burning all the time. So that's yeah. that. I mean, that's part of it, too. But the other thing, too, is sometimes people just have once or twice a year, they have a kind of a party where they ask everybody to bring something Um or to contribute to building that food environment. And when they do that, people's satisfaction goes up too. One of the companies that I uh, worked with, they did, they had a turkey fry once a year, which to me is like really unhealthy. You take this big turkey and you put it in this deep fryer. And But at any rate, they had a turkey fry and they invited their, their employees to each, everybody contributed something. And the managers did the most co- contribution and the most serving. And they invited all their customers and it was a huge draw. And people would say, I love working there because of the turkey fry. And it, it's an engineering company. Why would they say the turkey fry matters? Because that's the place where the food and the fellowship happens at work. Yeah. Only happens once a year, but it was a big deal for everybody. So big a deal that it, it came up all the time when people were talking during their performance reviews. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm thinking a lot about uh, that. That's also an interesting point, too, is like sometimes obviously there's like, you know, like you have these companies, so they, they are very social together. Like I've known people who've worked in offices where it was like, they had alcohol in the office all the time. And like they had alcohol carts. This was like advertising firms and, you Good know, way to promote was, addictions. Yeah. 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 But that's what it was like. They were in the office for 12 hours a day and they just, they were like, they're all creative types, you know, they're all like, um, you know, fun, young people. And they're like, yeah, just keep, it was like Mad Men. Like they just had alcohol in there all the time, but people loved working there because of that. As crazy as that sounds, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, because of the, there was a, a focus and an emphasis on food and drink. 
That seems yep. to be very key to people's satisfaction at work. Yeah, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, even that, like I had a job once where um, it was like my first like kind of realish job out of college and it was um, for this IT sales company. And so they would do a lot of these um, they were like lunch and learn type things where you would have a vendor come in and talk about the product that you would, they would try to have you sell. And, you know, every, it was always catered. So the vendor would pay for like sandwiches and, you know, these sorts of things. And you get like free, like samples of stuff. And I hated the job. I was really bad at it. And you're probably noticing, noticing a theme, like, yeah. dude, you hate a lot of your jobs. <laughs> I did hate all my jobs. That's why I don't have a job. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, but if that, that one aspect was enough for me to go, okay, I can last another month because yeah, the job sucks, but you know, once a week or a couple times a week, I get these lunch and learns and I get a free sandwich and whatever. And it was like, okay, knowing what I know now, I would, that would be like the last thing that keeps me there. Cause I'd be like sandwiches, white bread, you know, processed meats and stuff. No, I'm not going to ask about that. But back then I was a savage. I didn't care. I was usually hung over. So I'm like, yes, free sandwiches, croissants, so, let it so go. What was the shift for you? Because it sounds like you, you made a significant health shift and you even have a podcast <laughs> about it and it's become really your focus and your passion. So what shifted you out of that space where it was mostly really unhealthy living? Uh, it, it was a lot of things, but um, like the clear shift for me was when I lost my health insurance. When I had no health insurance, then I realized I'm on my own with this whole thing. And it was like going to the doctor is not an option. And until I learned that you can go to the doctor, there's a little trick you can pull as an uninsured person where you just say, I will pay you cash up front. And they give you like an 80% discount. That's how, that's how messed up the insurance industry is. Um, but for me, when I lost my health insurance, after I, I lost a job, I went on unemployment. Um, and then I just had no health insurance and I just said, okay, I have to get, I have to get healthy. So it was a series of things I did. And then just that kind of focus, it became, it, it became an obsession with me. And I just kept, you know, I, it, I wasn't perfect. I just, you know, I was trying things that I thought were healthy, you know, I was like a vegetarian vegan for a while. And then I kind of switched around stuff. So it was like a whole journey for me, like it is for most people, but, um, the unhealthiest I was without a doubt was when I had a full-time job. That's for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it was just a lot of like waking up early, sitting in rush hour traffic, and then going to a job that was just, you know, it's not it, like take the job responsibilities out and just look at the environment of the office. So like these, you know, um, these luminescent, uh, like blue lights, you know, on you all day, no windows, uh, no chance to like go outside and get fresh air. I lived in the Northeast at the time too, um, for a lot of this. And it was like dark for like six months of the year. It's just dark all like you live in Canada. So, you know, this, this life where it's like dark from like five in the morning to five o'clock at night, or I'm sorry, it's, it's dark. Um, it's dark up until like seven in the morning and then it starts getting dark at four in the afternoon. So you're at work and you're not seeing the sun at all. Um, moldy carpets, moldy building, um, you know, no access to good food. There was no, 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 because you didn't matter as a person in there. Um, so, you know, and, and that, and when that happens, you don't care what kind of conditions people are in. Yeah. And for me, it was for yeah, me, it was purely transactional. I just needed yeah. a job because I needed a paycheck. I needed health insurance. That's all. That, that was the only reason I had the job. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it sounds to me like when you made this shift, you had a couple of things happening. One was 
you you felt that you had a problem that you had to solve, right? It's not, behavior changes when it becomes a problem for me. Mm-hmm. So your behavior became a problem for you and you had to solve it. And then you also discovered a sense of purpose through your dedication to health and you seeing your own. So the combination of a shakeup where you feel you have to change your behavior and a renewed sense of purpose is what ins- what I that's my take on what inspired you to move forward in your life and is just continuing to sustain you. Yeah. And the more I think about that, the more I find that to be such an interesting concept, the, 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 the idea of purpose, mm-hmm. um, like you've bottled it up and you've used it as a thing to kind of help employ like leadership, get more out of their employees, or at least like foster a better work environment. Because I don't bottle it up so they can get anything out of their employees. That's the whole thing they need to shift out of. But you're using, what I mean is you're using purpose to create better work environments, right? Like you're using this idea of purpose to Self and other awareness. So they become aware of themselves, they become aware of others, and then they're in relationship. So then they go, wait a minute, I don't want that to happen to you. I don't want that to happen to me. And they start getting rid of those moldy carpets and talking with people about what they're going to do for food and those kinds of things. Right. I don't work with anybody that just wants to get more out of their people. Of course. Yeah. I have a very like, kind of like, uh, like simplistic, like Northeast, like dumb monkey brain way of thinking of things. So like, I, I, when I'm saying that, I don't, I don't mean that's what you're doing, but like, that's just kind of how I'm phrasing because at the end of the day, like either way, my point is, is that the purpose thing is, is, is kind of the key to the whole thing, because that's what really gives people the drive to want to do stuff. Like when you feel the purpose to do stuff, and this goes all the way to like addictions, right? Because, you know, there's this, there's this whole like debate, like, especially as like weed becomes legal. Remember when they used to say like marijuana is this gateway drug to heroin, like that's not for some people, you're right. It is because for some people, they have no purpose in their life or they have lack of purpose in their life. And the first thing they get their hands on is weed or alcohol or cigarettes. And then very quickly that goes to, you know, harder drugs, to heroin addiction, to opiates, whatever. Right. But for some people, they'll just smoke weed or they'll, they'll have a few drinks here and there. They'll never go any, any more than that. And the difference between the two is usually a sense of purpose, right. Is usually giving people like a sense of purpose. So yeah, like I worked a job for years that I hated, but the one thing that actually kept me going was that I did find some meaning in it. I did find some purpose. And that's actually in a weird way, what brought me to this. Cause I worked in the healthcare industry and I became so angry, like, like viscerally angry at what I saw happening in my job. And this is like, now it's like, now this is like mainstream conversation, but back 10 years ago when I was seeing this firsthand, when I was a part of the problem, <laughs> I, I, I would talk about this with people like, oh, you're crazy. Like, no, you don't understand. Like insurance companies it, are, are not the only bad guy. The doctors are the bad guy too. You know, there's a lot of like shenanigans that happens, wasteful spending in the healthcare industry. And it's, it's what's ruining the whole thing, you know, cause I was a part of that problem. I saw it firsthand. And so um, there was a job that I had where I was a, uh, I was, I was a collector of insurance companies. So I would have to collect money from insurance companies to pay their patients bills because they didn't want to pay their patients bills. And it drove me up the wall. Like as soon as I realized it was terrible, like I would go to work at first. I was like, this is a job, whatever. I don't care. And then when I started to realize like, oh, they're not paying their patients, their customers bills 
because they don't give a shit about the person. They just look at them as a number and they go, how do we make sure that we keep our bottom line straight and not pay for their thing? So you would have patients getting in many cases, like life-saving care, oxygen for many people, it was, um, uh, ventilators, CPAP machines, um, a lot of like respiratory stuff. Cause that's the company I work for a respiratory company. And I, like their insurance company would deny their claim. Like we would provide the service. We would build their insurance company. And then the insurance company automatically would say, Nope, declined. Yeah, because the because the burden of proof was on us. So we had to have so it's, a, it's completely unjust. Yes. And so what would happen? So they would they, let me finish. Yeah. So what they would do, because because I'm going to get to the point here is they would they would deny it for the most the most asinine reasons. Like they would say, oh, on your piece of paper, the lining of like the wording wasn't like it was like a millimeter off. I'm not even exaggerating. No, right? I'm not even exaggerating. Mm-hmm. It was like a millimeter off. Right. Or you did like a parentheses with one extra space before you put their area code of their phone number. Like we're talking stuff. And then of course it was things where you like build the wrong, um, you know, ICD nine code or the patient's name, whatever. But a lot of times what the, the, the end result would be that they would send the bill to the denied the patient gets not their insurance rated rate, but they would get the full bill. So a service that they thought they paid a $10 copay for they're now on the hook for like $1,500. And these are people like you start getting those bills every single month. And because the insurance industry and the healthcare industry is so like, it's, it's so behind because of all the bureaucracy that happens, people would now like over a couple months of not knowing this stuff, cause they're not getting emails because things are faxed. Things are faxed back and forth. Like still to this yeah, day, I people, know. Use, people are using fax machines. You're like, who uses a fax machine? Only healthcare they, does that. Exactly. And they would tell me like, oh, we faxed you this thing. Or they would say, fax us the thing. I'll fax them this thing every day for months. And they go, we never got it. Because it goes into a fax with 900 other papers. So, so, so what would happen is, is now you have patients who are going into debt. They're going into bankruptcy because of these little like mistakes. And so I became so angry about this whole situation. And it taught me this thing. It said, it taught me the idea that I never want to rely on a doctor. I never want to rely on the healthcare system for anything. I especially never want to rely on a government run healthcare system because the last thing you ever want to do is be on Medicaid and have to call Medicaid. The last thing you want to do is ever have to call somebody and get put on hold and then they lose your call and then you got to call again and then they lose your call. They transfer yeah. three times. This is why institutions need to read my book because... Um, they have a responsibility to play. Yeah. And, and, and the individuals, I, my philosophy on this is that just about everybody has work trauma. Mm-hmm. So I cert, certainly people have been traumatized by other things in their lives, but all I, I can guarantee you that everybody has work trauma. The way you're talking, you sound work traumatized to me. Oh, you, I'm totally work traumatized. So yeah. I never had a job. That's so why I was like, I, was, so, I will do everything in my power. To, I, right. I took the worst jobs. I was an audience member for the Steve Wilco show where they paid me like 50 bucks and gave me a sandwich. They drove me up to Connecticut. And I would just sit there and watch these like people who like, you know, would have like uh divorce disputes and stuff because I was never going to go back to work in an office again. I did the most oddest of odd jobs before I actually like found a job that paid my bills while I was doing other things. But I was like, I'm never going to go to an office right. again anymore. So, but so you bad. are still carrying those traumas with you. Yeah, and absolutely. You take them into the job that you love 
So mm-hmm. it could be affecting what you're doing now. Um, so I, that, that's really my premise is that that's why all the coaching that I do is about people in work. So career transition, okay. work traumas. I don't don't focus on other kinds of traumas because everybody has work trauma and that's there's so much of it and they have to they have to deal with it because they have to earn a living so they can feed themselves. So yeah. um, yes, yes, this is a huge problem. Yeah. So and and then where how do you discover your sense of purpose and then move into something that's more healthy for you, which is what you've done. Right. Uh, but as you go through into that, you suddenly realize you have areas of your life that you need you need to to they might need some spring cleaning, right? They might need a you might need to do a little bit of revamping, uh, which you wouldn't have noticed before because everything was falling apart. And you start yeah. to notice it as you start to become more healthy. So and you have to, yeah, you have to really like make big decisions, you know, like it, it, it took, I was lucky because I, it took me like no time. I have very low, like little tolerance for baloney, you know? And so when I started to realize there was like stacks of baloney in my day and it was bringing me down, I said, I can't do this anymore. So I made some big decisions and change things ended up like back again with the baloney. But, you know, I think what happens is, and I'm, and I'm thinking of specific people that I used to work in the office with who just, they dealt with this for years. They just allowed themselves to just be like, all right, I'm go. it's Monday again. Can go back to work on Monday. Oh my God. I used to hate Sunday night so much because I yeah. knew it was just hours before I'd have to wake up and go to work on Monday. And Monday was and, the and such day, a loss. Right? Lots, a loss of potential and talent when that yeah, happens. totally. So yeah, so I'm, I'm, I'm thinking all of these things, like you mentioned before, purpose really matters. And when you start to find your own purpose, that it starts to have an effect, um, even a piece of your, of that purpose. And the same thing happens with organizations. So with at the organizational level, when people start to have some little piece where they go, you know what, this matters to me, then they start yeah. to see what they can correct, and then they notice there's other things that could be could be adjusted. And they also discover some latent talents that they didn't know they had. So I think your story also um, goes along with many workplaces when they start to make changes as well. Yeah. Well, well, this is fun. I, I think we just like, I, I feel like I would like to talk more about this, um, but we are kind of up against it with the time, but um, actually very interesting um, where we just kind of went with this because um you know, like a lot of people, it's so weird how this all ties to health because you know, I deal with a lot of people who, and there's a lot of people in this audience who, you know, when you say health to them, health means a lot of different things, right? And for a lot of people, what health means is that it's their lack of health. And a lot of people are specifically dealing with cognitive disorders or dealing with anxiety, depression. A lot of people are dealing with autoimmunity. And in a lot of instances, autoimmunity, you can, you can kind of tie that back to, depression, anxiety, you can, you can tie that back to trauma and then you especially can tie it back to lack of purpose. Mm -hmm. So, um, it it is interesting, this direction that now I'm starting to kind of understand, you know, where you're coming from with this whole thing, where you're not just, you're not just creating better workplaces, but you're actually creating better people. Does that make sense? Because if you, if you spend 40 hours a week somewhere, you better hope that's somewhere that you like to be. You don't want it to be somewhere that you hate, because if you're spending 40 hours a week somewhere you hate, that starts to manifest in a lot of things. And what it definitely manifests is as um, is as illness. Mm-hmm. And when we start disease. to think of when mm-hmm. you start to think about like just the sheer numbers of chronic disease in this in the United States, I'm sure in Canada, too, it's, it's probably just as bad. Um, there's a chronic disease. I mean, 
an epidemic, right? It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a catastrophe. Um, and for a lot of people, it's the lack of purpose in their life that, you know, everyone says, well, we'd, we'd have less obesity if people just ate less. Right. But like, well, that doesn't it's, really it's explain not, anything. It's not a one-stop shop. It's not a silver bullet. It's, it's no. about thinking about the whole, the whole process. I the whole thing. Like, let me show you the book. Yes. The spirit of work. Yes. The spirit of work. wisdom, current realities. Yeah. So, I, when I, when I think of that too, I think about like man's search for meaning, you know, mm -hmm. that book too, uh, yep. Victor Frankl. Victor Frankl. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, it, it just goes to show we have to have meaning in life. You have to, and it's, it's really kind of to wrap it all up. It really sounds like it's the responsibility. You know, you want to work for a workplace for an employer who doesn't just pay you well, but also like makes it a place you want to be for the time you're going to be there. So if you're gonna spend 40 hours a week there, make sure it's somewhere you want to be for 40 hours, you know, make sure you wake up in the morning, like, Yes, I get to go to work. Not like, oh God, it's Tuesday. It's Tuesday's gonna have that Tuesday feeling. Oh, Tuesday's gonna have those Tuesday stories. Tuesdays we got those Tuesday meetings. Oh man, I'm just ticking down the time so I can get the Wednesday because Wednesday's only two days away from Friday. Oh man, it's Thursday. Gonna go to happy hour tonight because it's finally Friday tomorrow. And Friday's not the right. weekend, but Friday is like almost that kind of weekend thing. What I'm saying in the book is that it's everybody's, all the stakeholders' responsibility. So as individuals, we have to take responsibility for a purposeful living and healthy living. And so do we as communities. That means how we treat each other and speak with each other. And so do corporations and institutions and governments have to take that responsibility. And so when we all do that, we all make one step forward, we start to be able to address the situation that we have. Yeah. Marie, so the name of your book is The Spirit of Work. They can buy that on Amazon. Where is yes. a good place to get that? Yep. Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo, all of the book directories. Awesome. And then is there somewhere online people can find you? You have a website or social media or anything like that? I do. I do. So my website is shiftworkplace.com. And there you can see also where my podcast is. My podcast is Culture and Leadership Connections. And I'm on all the social media, but mostly on LinkedIn. Um, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on everything, but um, uh, more on LinkedIn and LinkedIn than anything else. Yes. Perfect. Mm -hmm. We'll be sure to link to all that and people can find you. They listen to this. They can contact you. Definitely read your book. Sounds very interesting. And um, you're, you're making the world a better place. You're making the workplace a better place. So that's a very important thing. Thank you, Eric. I appreciate this time. Absolutely. Thank you. And thank you for listening and watching, dear listener and viewer. If you enjoyed what you saw and listened to tonight, be sure to head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave the podcast a five-star review. If you're watching this on video, remember to subscribe on YouTube. Leave any comments, questions you have down in the comments section. And for more things, all things holistic nootropics, biohacking, nutrition, all that stuff, head on over to holisticnootropics.com. Until next time, everybody, take care of yourselves and peace. Thanks for listening. For more brain-boosting info, in-depth articles, and show notes, check out holisticnootropics.com. 